Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. KFI AM640. Bill Handel here on a Tuesday morning, August 23rd. Uh, coming up uh, next segment, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the uh, president uh, nearing a decision on that $10,000 uh, student loan uh, bill in which he's going to forgive or uh, where the government's going to forgive $10,000 of student loan. Uh, he had until the end of the month, uh, basically, because that's when the moratorium ends and you start getting your, uh, you have to pay your student loans again, the payments. Well, uh, we've just been told that uh, tomorrow he is uh, going to announce his decision. So I'll explain a little bit about uh, the student bill uh, forgiveness uh, law and act uh, tomorrow. Uh, no, actually, I'll do it today, coming up at uh, 9.20. Now, uh, there is, well, you've been hearing this a lot, uh, and that is the Democrats talking about codifying Roe. Now that Roe v. Wade is gone, uh, the only way to reintroduce Roe is for Congress to pass a bill that effectively brings the protection of Roe in terms of abortion, which is what Roe's about, uh, back uh, into existence, but by federal law, by an act of Congress, which uh, would be signed by the president. He already said he would sign it. And that the Supreme Court can't overturn. Now, the Supreme Court did overturn Roe because it's based on a 1973 decision, strangely enough, called Roe versus Wade. And uh, the judge, uh, Judge Alito, who wrote the decision, had always said that Roe was fundamentally flawed, that the premise behind Roe, the right of privacy, is fundamentally flawed. Okay, so uh, what does that mean, codify Roe? That's what you've been hearing. That's the phrase that's been bandied about. And in reality, it doesn't codify Roe. And Democrats and abortion rights activists are going, wait a minute. No, no, this doesn't work. Uh, This is the Reproductive Freedom for All Act, and it's a bipartisan effort approved by Republican Senator Susan Collins and Senator Lisa Murkowski, both Republican senators and a couple of Democrats, which we don't even have to deal with because Democrats are in favor. And uh, when we talk about bipartisan, you've got two senators that have come out in favor of it, and that's it. That's how bipartisan it is. Two senators. So uh, this uh, Reproductive uh, Freedom for All Act is not particularly popular. And why is that? Because it really doesn't go far enough as far as the abortion rights folks are concerned. 
There's already on the books, which which has uh, been passed by the House, uh, has not yet been passed by the Senate, and that's the Women's Health Protection Act. That is Roe. That, in fact, codifies Roe, and uh, what it does is bring those protections of privacy uh, in back into the law where women uh, are allowed to and uh, can have an abortion and would be able to in all 50 states, much like Roe. Now, keep in mind that the Supreme Court, even though it has up to this point over the last 50 years, has never never underturned the ba- overturned the basic premise. What it has let happen were little bits and snippets, the death of a thousand cuts. It's been described as uh, stopping abortion, things like in certain states, uh, a doctor uh, has to be given privileges at a hospital before an abortion can be done. Well, you got a Catholic hospital and that's the only one around. And you couple that with the abortion has to be done within 30 miles of a hospital, uh, but the hospital wouldn't let it happen. It can't be done as an outpatient procedure. It must be done in the hospital, even though far riskier procedures are done uh, that are done outpatient. So these little bits, these little laws, or not so little, but these laws that got in the way the courts have upheld. Now, what has basically saved uh, abortion rights is the concept of undue burden. If the courts are convinced that whatever law is passed restricting abortion is an undue burden on a woman, then that law fails. Although undue burden, uh, undue burden has gotten less and less powerful. Well, this new law allows those deaths of a thousand cuts. It still doesn't push undue burden, undue burden, where the Women's Health Protection Act, the one that has legs, which is out there, uh, that does. The protections are across the board. It is a powerful bit of legislation, which is why Democrats and abortion advocates hate uh, this new bill. The Reproductive Freedom for All Act. I love the way they call these bills. And it, um, it's supposed to bring back uh, what uh, was uh, the law and the protections for women uh, and reproductive freedom, as is described by abortion advocates. And so what's happening, it's a, it's a middle ground. And unfortunately, when it comes to abortion rights or pro-life that position, there is no such thing as a middle ground. It doesn't exist. You talk about polarization, man, that one is huge. And rightly so. Uh, Of all the arguments that uh, are against, quote, liberal views, that is gay rights, uh, abortion rights, the abortion argument, I think those who are uh, pro-life, that is a truly moral argument that they have. I may disagree with it, I may say that I believe that a woman has choice and that supersedes your argument, but there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that your argument is totally legitimate. I know it comes from the heart. 
And I don't think it's about removing women's rights. We want to make absolutely sure you don't have those rights. It's about preserving life. I believe that's what they think, or at least the vast, vast majority is what they think. Uh, We were told uh, that by the end of the week, uh, President Biden is uh, would have decided or would decide whether or not to extend that $10,000 loan forgiveness program for students who had borrowed money. And bottom line is, since the moratorium to pay back the money to make the payments uh, is ending at the end of the month, there's been a two-year moratorium, uh, a decision had to be made whether or not there was uh, going to be uh, that $10,000 forgiveness. How about to sneeze? Oh, good sneeze. In any case, uh, that has uh, actually uh, that's uh, been sped up. And we're just told that the president is expected to announce uh, as soon as tomorrow uh, whether he will cancel $10,000 of federal student loans per borrower as long as the borrower makes less than $125,000 a year or close to it. But if you make less than that. Uh, you're off the hook for $10,000 worth of student loan, which is a chunk. And I'll tell you about the percentages there. So you would normally think uh, the Republicans and the Democrats would be fighting over this. Republicans saying no, uh, because, you know, we can't add to the budget. I mean, forgiving $10,000 per student of debt, that is a lot of money. And Republicans and conservative economists are saying, we just can't afford it. It's going to add to inflation. It's going to cost $230, $240 billion. We cannot afford it. Okay, we know the Republicans and Democrats. But here's one that's going on. Where the real feud is happening is between Biden's close allies. That's the fight whether or not the administration should cancel up to $10,000 in student debt, because there are millions of American borrowers who have uh, borrowed money to go to school. So with the Inflation Reduction Act that has just been signed into law, uh, White House officials uh, have revived discussions over the debt cancellation. In August 31, deadline, uh, They're not even going to go to the deadline. They're going to do it tomorrow. Uh, Now, internal White House discussions among the allies, among his advisors, have centered on uh, temporarily extending the pause. Remember, there's a moratorium. No payments until the end of August. Payments start again. And they're talking about extending the pause and simultaneously canceling $10,000 for the borrower that's below the income threshold, which is $125,000 a year. So it's going to be a double hit for those that are advocating $10,000. Now, there are a few people, of course, that are asking for a hell of a lot more. You've got uh, Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, the NAACP, uh, is which is a true ally of the president, has said uh, that $10,000 is nothing. We want $50,000 in student debt uh, forgiven uh, because uh, the higher loan burden is on black Americans. They borrow more, therefore it should be $50,000. And it is a huge fight that's going on. Advocates are saying, okay, 
the president promised this on his campaign trail to alleviate the large debt burdens of millions of young Americans. Uh, the critics are saying that it's exacerb it will exacerbate inflation, mostly, mostly benefiting high-income college graduates who do not need assistance. So if you're making $125,000, let's say you're making $124,000 a year, and for married couples, it's uh, double that. It becomes $300,000 a year. So if you're making $298,000 a year between the two of you, uh, do you really need $10,000 for given? I'll tell you who it also pisses off. People like me. I borrowed money from the government to pay for tuition for my first couple of years of law school. I paid back every single dime of it with interest. And I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not alone either. I mean, keep in mind, uh, the vast majority of people in school borrow money. There aren't too many folks out there who write a check, especially today, for a $41,000 uh, tuition payment. So there's a constituency, and uh, even liberals, super liberals, who have paid back their loan are going, come on. Really? We had to? But these folks don't, or at least $10,000 of their loan forgiven. Now, if you're in uh, grad school... Uh, and you're borrowing money to go to law school or to go to med school, uh, $10,000 is truly nothing. I mean, that's a drop in the bucket because uh, people in those categories, people who borrow money to go to professional schools are borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars. But there is a huge majority, uh, and there's a huge number of people where $10,000 is the entire balance, or $10,000 is half of the balance that they owe. Bill Galston, who was a top public uh, policy aide in the Clinton White House, says this is a deep political problem. And they've hesitated for a long time. And this is going to be done by the administration. You don't need Congress to do this. This is going to be Joe Biden making the decision. So uh, as he's moving closer to a decision, we've just been told uh, it's probably going to come down tomorrow. Both uh, the supporters and critics of canceling the debt have become more and more strident. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer, uh, Elizabeth uh, Warren, uh, very strong proponents of canceling student debt. And you've got Bernie Sanders, who, of course, uh, wants to cancel all debt and even give you money on top of that just uh, for fun. There is even the centrist Democrats have begun pushing back against this forgiveness. Uh, they have stepped up their case against this broad loan forgiveness program uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, all critics of the American Rescue Plan, $1.9 trillion last year, this is with the stimulus plan, are saying we have spent so much money uh, that at some point it simply we go broke as a country. And that's a legitimate argument. Uh, it's. Uh, it's a tough choice to make because the president, no matter which way he goes, this is why I've said this is the lousiest job in the world. It's a lose-lose virtually any decision that you make. I mean, you're going to piss someone off.
uh, when you're a president. Uh, but this one is not only getting the opposite side, the Republican, the conservative uh, economists really angry with you. It's getting people who are on your side really angry with you because it's not enough. We need more than $10,000. Uh, we need the threshold being higher, if you can imagine that. It's means tested. I mean, it is $125,000, so it'd be $250,000 for a couple, not $300,000. I stand corrected. So we'll see tomorrow what happens. Tomorrow is the big day. Now, uh, we've been doing stories about the Colorado River and how uh, it's with the drought and how, what the reduction is in our water supply. And I want to give you another side story of uh, the water in the Colorado River or lack of water in the Colorado River. And that is, it's coming for your winter veggies. Sounds like a film, doesn't it? They're coming for your veggies. Now, if you have a Caesar salad, you're having a leafy green like a romaine lettuce, which if it's not killing you with E. coli, uh, then it's going to kill you with something else. But when you talk about leafy greens, they really come from one sort of region. Yuma, Arizona and California's Imperial Valley produces more than 90 percent of uh, the winter leafy greens, which we eat. And a huge percentage of the vegetables, especially the winter vegetables that are eaten. Also, Arizona grows uh, a lot of wheat, uh, which the state doesn't consume. It exports to Italy for making pasta. But you didn't know that. Well, uh, here's the big problem. The water that these farmers use to grow those crops come from the Colorado River. And the Colorado River is drying up. If you contact the Bureau of Reclamation, they'll tell you that the Colorado River is in its 23rd year of drought. And, you know, Lake Powell and Lake Mead, uh, uh, Lake Mead being the largest reservoir in the country, uh, Powell being the second largest. Well, they're at historic lows. And you've seen pictures of that water line, that bathtub ring, which is now 300 to or 250 feet above the level of the current uh, of the of the current water. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Uh, so they're at historic lows, which means we now have a series of water restrictions and under climate change, it's going to get worse, which means we're going to have a lot less water for lawns and long showers. All right. We can live with that. It's not the end of the world having brought um, uh, having uh, those uh, those problems, first world problems. But it's a much bigger problem for al agriculture uh, because uh, farmers use three quarters of all the water that's taken from the river. And some of that has already been restricted, not so much in California. And we've talked about water rights in California coming from the Colorado River, and it's based on seniority. Uh, those states and those regions that use Colorado River, uh, the earliest indigenous tribes, for example, have more rights. So we're ahead, way ahead of Arizona, for example, way ahead of Mexico, which also receives water. So uh, farmers use less water. Of course, they're going to produce less food, which means food prices are going to go up, which they have. And the winter veggies, lettuce, broccoli could take a big hit. Now, there are two kinds of growing that goes on. 
One, the farmers can sort of live with. Uh, you've got tomatoes, you've got short-term crops, broccoli, where, uh, okay, you can plant something else. It's uh, an annual crop. You can take a tomato crop, but if it doesn't work out, the next year plant alfalfa. Uh, so those are easier to deal with. I'll tell you what is not easy to deal with if you're a farmer. Uh, tree crops, nut crops, those take years to develop, and you're not going to tear out trees because next year you can plant something else. If it takes seven or eight years for a tree to mature and then start producing a crop that's saleable, what are you going to do next year? Rip it up? Uh, of course not. So those are the farmers that are going to get completely nailed. Alfalfa farmers are getting nailed, and that means that dairy prices are going to go up, and cattle prices are going to go up, and they're going to go up even more, not only because there's not enough water now, but uh, farmers can't sustain cattle without lots of water. They end up dying. And if a farmer is, let's say, 20% less water, the farmer can choose to leave the, grand, uh, the ground fallow in the winter instead of, instead of planting wheat and probably get paid for it by the federal government. Now, the good news on all of this, since the price of uh, the farm product itself is fairly low, you're not going to see, the, even though there'll be a reduced lettuce crop, for example, uh, you won't see lettuce prices doubling. It'll be more expensive, but the retail price of food, very little is actually tied to the cost of actually growing it. Uh, marketing, uh, transportation is far more in terms of the prices that we pay. And those aren't going to be changed. But it's not just the lack of water. It's what's connected to the lack of water, and that is drought. You go to the Midwest. Corn is wilting. And cattle are dying earlier. Uh, and, and that's across the world that's happening. India, for example, uh, it uh, cut its supply of wheat. It's been nailed. And you've got the pandemic. You put it all together, and uh, lack of water is going to be a real big problem. So a couple things are going to happen. Number one, the water restrictions are really going to hit. This is what we're pretty good at. We've gone through this before, and we have saved water. During the Jerry Brown years, uh, I think we reduced our water consumption by 30%. I mean, if you're not watering lawns, if you're not washing cars, except in a car wash where they recycle the water, uh, if you are not hosing down the driveway, if you're taking five-minute showers, uh, one of the things uh, about um, Gary, um, I uh, talked to him uh, about showers, and I had to redo my shower, and uh, you, you, you soap up, and then you turn off the water, while you're soaping up and then you turn it back on again. Who the hell does that? Gary does. He's been doing it for years. Go, how the hell do you do that? Well, we're going to be forced to do that. Not flushing toilets. I mean, we were asked not to flush toilet. As disgusting as it is. But if you, especially when you're peeing in the toilet, you hang on to that. 
because there's nothing lovelier than a toilet that hasn't been flushed. But if you add that to millions and millions of people and hundreds of thousands of households, that's we're going to see. That's what we're going to see happening. So that's another story of the Colorado River. The government is dragging its feet. Matter of fact, governments are dragging their feet around the world, responding to climate change. Just isn't happening quickly enough. We know that. So you've got people, ordinary people, you, me, concerned uh, citizens are saying, okay, what can we do as individuals? Um, Eating less meat. Boy, that's an easy place to start. Uh, livestock accounts for about 14.5% of global greenhouse gas, gas emissions. That's no small amount. Uh, and the situation could grow even worse. Why? Because the consumption of meat is increasing around the world. The United Nations forecasts that the world will be eating 14% more meat by 2030 because middle-income countries becoming wealthier, more demand for meat... Uh, More demand for pasture and feed crops, more deforestation, more climate problems. So clearly giving up meat is uh, a huge issue and it helps enormously. But does it? There's a growing body of research suggesting that the world could raise enough beef, pork, chicken and other meat to let anyone who wants to eat meat anywhere in the world who can afford it eat meat. A few times a week even. Now, is there a caveat? Yeah. You have to eat a modest amount of meat across the board. So those uh, 42-ounce porterhouse steaks and uh, those uh, massive ribeyes, big chunks of chicken, no. No, it's going to be a moderate amount. But that's what the, the health experts tell us anyway. Everything's in moderation. And it turns out uh, that a world with some animal agriculture actually has a smaller environmental footprint than an entirely vegan world. You wouldn't think that, would you? And the catch is it's going to require big changes in the way we even raise livestock. So we're going to eat meat and continue to eat meat as the world is, but just less meat. And One reason for the environmental impact of meat, which is huge, uh, is that it is far more uh, efficient for people to eat plants directly than to feed them to livestock. Chickens need about two pounds of feed to produce one pound of weight gain. Uh, Pigs need three to five pounds of feed to produce each pound of weight gain. And cattle need six to ten pounds of grain to produce one pound of meat. And uh, that weight gain uh, is in bones and skin and guts too, not meat. So it gets even more expensive. About 40% of the world's uh, arable land is used to grow animal feed. And when you're talking about deforestation, water use and fertilizer runoff and pesticides and fossil fuel use, it gets pretty expensive. Now, grazing uh, land is a whole different story because you've got animals, uh, you know, cattle, sheep, goats that have multiple stomachs like I do, uh, and they digest the stuff that no one else digests or no other animal does. Uh, That's the cellulose and grass and straw and plant material, and they convert that into animal protein that then we eat. About two-thirds of the entire world's... um, Grazing land 
uh, can't be used for anything else. Too steep, marginal, too arid. And so it makes sense to use it for grazing. And what science has suggested, and we're talking about scientists, and there's one scientist that I'm quoting who is known all over the world, uh, Vaclav Smil at the University of Manitoba, wrote a book about this uh, back in 2013, and it's entitled, Should We Eat Meat? And he's uh, cited all kinds of studies uh, that have been made, and he said that a world without meat uh, would require about one-third more cropland, more energy-intensive fertilizer and pesticides and fuel to feed everyone. So the answer is not stopping to eat meat, which is kind of a, a shocker, because uh, now outside of the health aspect, uh, meat, of course, cholesterol, and then you have the moral aspect. I won't eat anything with a face on it, which I love eating things with faces on it. Matter of fact, I have the, I'd like the face to stare right at me when I'm eating meat. I have no problem with that. Uh, but one of the things that meat does is give you high-quality protein that is not so easy to get in, in uh, non-animal products, especially when you're talking about the third world that is now increasing in terms of its ability to pay for meat. And everybody wants meat around the world. I mean, that's the end-all, be-all. Well, when you have third-world crops... You don't have the fertilizer that we do. You don't have the irrigation systems that we do. You have the drought, which makes it almost impossible to grow uh, crops. Uh, you have meat. And meat is, well, that's the way to go. I'm telling you, I've just changed your mind, hopefully, where you're going to become meat eaters. I just don't understand vegetarians. Shannon? Do you understand vegetarians? Because I know you're anything but. You know what? <laughs> Last week, I was walking down the hall with a uh, a handful of mortadella. Because what I do is I keep cold cuts in our refrigerator. Peppered salami, mortadella. And Deborah Mark stopped me in the hallway to say hello. We haven't talked to you in a while. And I'm just sitting there, maybe like eight inches from her face, eating the mortadella just right out of my hand. And she's a vega, vegan and extraordinaire. it didn't occur to me until much later in the day what I had done and how how rude that was of me to just sit there eating slice after slice of mortadella in front of her. You missed the point. What was the point? The point is taking mortadella and rubbing it on her face. Wow. that I would get fired for that these days. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but it makes a point about uh, vegetarian and veganism. All right, real quickly before uh, you say anything, uh, we're doing Handle on the Law off the air, 877-520-1150, starting just in a moment uh, or two with Gary and Shannon come aboard. And Shannon, what are you talking about? It looks like Gavin Newsom at least has a couple of brain cells to rub together. He has said no to those legal drug injection sites. But if you ask the LA Times, here's the headline they're running with. Newsom vetoes a bill to set up overdose prevention programs. That's what they're calling these injection sites, overdose prevention programs. Which I'm totally 
totally in favor of those injection sites, and I may be the only one here at the station. Really? Yep. And I'll tell you That's about enabling, it. though. Uh, no, I'll, I... What if well, someone gave you a safe place to do all the blow you wanted to do? You'd probably keep doing it. Oh, <laughs> See, that's yeah. the thing. But I, it's a long story that you and I have to have a discussion with, because you and I are on opposite sides, which I greatly love these discussions. 877-520-1150 is the phone number to call for marginal legal advice off the air, and you can still listen to Gary and Shannon on the phone. Now you're thinking about cocaine right now. You're damn right I am. Uh... <laughs> Shannon, you have a good show. Thank you, sir. Handle the Morning Crew, KFI AM640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.